shepherd in John 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do not bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you, did not, you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke to the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are far from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Thank you very much. If you want to follow along, I'm going to be in John 8, the scripture that was just read, 12 through 30. Well, church, this morning after a three-month break where we were going through the Psalms and then holiness, we return this morning to the Gospel of John. And since it's been a little bit of time, I want to give you a quick recap of the book to help kind of situate you back into this particular text. This Gospel was written by the beloved apostle, the apostle John, and it was actually written to unbelieving Jews had not yet accepted Jesus as the Messiah. 
And John actually tells you the exact purpose of the book at the end of the book. He says, all of these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning that will hopefully set some of the context. Why would you and I, non-believing, or excuse me, believing non-Jews in the 21st century, need to read a book that was written about 2,000 years ago to Jews that did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God? And I think this book is just as relevant today for you and I for this reason. Because faith in Jesus is not a one-time switch that you flip. It is a muscle that grows over time, a skill that is sharpened, a fire that needs to be fed, a plant that needs to be watered. And so what this book is meant to do is it is meant to strengthen, feed, sharpen, and grow your faith and love for Jesus as you see and appreciate with ever greater clarity who this man was And why he came so that you may adore him and draw your life from his name. Amen. And the passage today hopefully is going to help you do that. But first we're going to pray and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace and your mercy. Lord, the idea that we are going to be able to glean and, Father, draw life from a name, from a man who lived 2,000 years ago is only something that we can cling to by faith. And so, Father, I pray that as you glorify your Son through the preaching of your word and edify his people, that we would see Jesus with greater clarity, that we would value him rightly, and, Lord, that we would rightly run to him and follow him as the light of the world. And we ask that you would do this again. In the name of Jesus, amen. In 1984, the first ever TED conference was held. For those of you who aren't familiar, TED was the acronym for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. These conferences eventually went online in 2006, and now they have gone viral. So the the idea of a TED talk is almost synonymous with a short, informative talk, somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. Wouldn't that be nice, right? (laughs) Um, Just kidding. (laughs) A short, informative 15 to 20 minute talk. And each one of these that that come out, each successive uh, video that comes out and is posted online gets somewhere between 15 and 45 million views for every single video. It's pretty crazy, huh? They have titles like something like this. Some of the most popular have titles like this. What makes a good life? Lessons from the longest study on happiness. How to make stress your friends. How to speak so that people will listen. And people watch these eagerly. Millions and millions of people watch these eagerly. Because what they do is in a short, authoritative way, they intend to shed light on some subject that will make their life better. They are rays of light, if you will, help, insight, or wisdom into important areas of life where people feel ignorant or people feel in the dark. And so what these videos prove is that we all, by default, instinctively recognize the value of light 
information, insight into the very deepest and darkest secrets of life. And I mentioned that also this morning because I think it helps us understand something of the weight and importance of what Jesus meant when he said these words. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's not saying in this statement that I have some truth to be able to help you today. Or, I guess what, people, I've got some good advice. Let me shed a little bit of light on a particular subject for you. What he's saying in this is that I am the source of all true knowledge. I am the light that gives Life And there is no other light apart from me. I am the source of truth and ultimately true enlightenment. And this is one of those statements, honestly, you can hear it once and kind of, kind of skim by and kind of quickly roll over it. But the more you think about what Jesus is saying in these words, the more profound this truth actually becomes. He is saying that he alone is the TED talk that leads to the ultimate good, full, happy, and eternal life. And so for anyone who, to say this, is no less audacious to a secular 21st century audience than it would have been to the 1st century Jewish audience in which he originally spoke it to. And so when you say something like this, When you say um, a statement that really, if it's true, changes everything that the people who originally heard it ever knew. It is a life reshaping reality. And in order for him to say something like that, he's going to have to back it up, which is exactly what he does to a room full of skeptics. He spends the next 18 verses intending to communicate with weight the reasons why they should believe that he is the light of the world. And because he's the light of the world, you should follow this light. And so our hope this morning is to look at these three reasons in such a way that you will grow in your confidence that Jesus is not just a dead Jewish carpenter, but that he was and is the light of the world in such a way that you will reorient your whole life around him and follow him more faithfully. Amen? First reason is this. Because of his authority as the light. Because of his authority as the light. You see, one of the things that you and I need to know today in order to be able to trust that someone, what someone says is actually valid, is that whether or not they have the credentials of, of the condition, credentials or authority to be able to, to give you good advice, which is part of the reason, like when you go to a doctor's office, they've got their medical degrees on the walls, right? So that every patient can see why this person should be able to give you the advice that they are giving you. Or if you go into a lawyer office and they've got their certificate on the wall saying that they have passed the bar, that they are licensed to practice law in this state. The point behind all of that is that you need to know that they, that the information or the diagnosis that they are giving you, the knowledge that they are communicating to you 
that they have the right and the authority to be able to give it. Because if, if a doctor gives you information about, it, about a disease, in order for you to be able to hear it, to receive it, and to, and to take the, the diagnosed medication, you need to believe he knows what he's talking about and he has, has the authority to say what he said. And I think it's that recognition of that need, which is why Jesus responds to the skepticism of the Pharisees in verse 13 in the way he does. Now, follow along here in verse 13. We read this. After he said he is the light of the world, he says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. And listen to this this key part. For I know where I come from and from where I am going. I know where I come from and I know where I am going, which is interesting. So if you kind of think back, I know we haven't been in John for a while, but let's kind of spread the picture back. Gone are the, the, the adoring crowds that were just hanging on every word that Jesus had been saying. And what has been replaced by those adoring crowds is the skeptical, kind of really critical spirit of the Pharisees as these Pharisees are really objecting to everything they're saying and saying, listen, you are claiming to be these things. You can't make that claim about yourself. And he may even be quoting what Jesus said a few chapters earlier when he said, no one can claim for themselves some of these things. They're saying, you can't do that. But his response shows that he must because no one else can ultimately verify what he's saying. Think about it this way. A doctor must appeal to other doctors for validation. A lawyer must appeal to other lawyers to know, show that they can actually practice law. But who has the knowledge of the authority, authority, authority to validate Jesus' claim that I am the light of the world? Who else can he appeal to? And so he responds that he can make this statement because he knows where he comes from and where he is going, which is this profound and yet somewhat coy way of saying that my knowledge and perspective far surpasses yours. And you can't make a judgment about someone if you don't know their story. And so Jesus' origin and destination then gives him the right to be able to say this. Think about it just Kind of put yourself into their shoes. You are Jesus. You have people claiming that you are completely a liar in everything you are saying. And he's going to make the point, you do not have the right, you don't have the ability to be able to make this judgment because my knowledge goes from before the creation of the world to the end of time. You see me in the flesh, but you don't know what you're talking about. Which is why he continues in the second half of verse 14. He says, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I know I judge no one. And ultimately he's saying in the same way, according to the flesh. His point is that they are looking at Christ in merely a natural way. Or maybe even a carnal way. A way ruled by their flesh that does not enable them to see the light for who he really is. You see, they assumed 
that they were able and ready to judge the truth of his claim, but they weren't up to the task in their natural selves. Just like almost, um, it's impossible almost for a non-doctor to evaluate whether a doctor's claims are true, so we can't evaluate rightly the claims of someone who claims to be the light when we are walking in darkness. His point again is that in and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes to determine whether or not Jesus is the light. We need help. We need the Spirit's illumination, the Spirit's enlivening to be able to see Jesus for who he really is. And now Jesus could have left it there. He could have said, I can tell you because I know where I came from and where I'm going. I've got more knowledge than you. You think you see the whole picture because you see me in the flesh. You don't know that I was there when the world was made. I will be there at the end of time. You have no clue who you're looking at. And he could have just left it there. But because he is gracious, he he moves into an argument that he, he knows that they'll understand. So in verse 17, he says, In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. That's what your law says, right? And then verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So again, what he's doing is he's working from this law that they know, this law that that goes back and says you should establish a testimony on the basis of two or three witnesses. And he's using it to justify what he's just said that he has the right to be able to claim that he is the light of the world. And remember, he's making the point that the Father is bearing witness about me in earlier chapters. How? How does the Father bear witness about the Son? By the work that he is doing, right? By the miracles that he is performing. Jesus is saying, remember, God is bearing witness to the truth of what I'm doing because he's given me these miracles and I'm doing which prove that I am who I say I am. So the Father is bearing witness about me. I'm bearing witness about me. And just a a, a kind of a noted aside, do you know how rare it is for a holy man, somebody who comes in the name of God to proclaim himself as God? I mean, if you look at all the other major religions, the guys that are at the center, Muhammad, Buddha, are not claiming to be the source of light and truth. They are claiming to be a guide. They're not bearing witness that they are the ones. And yet what we have in Christianity is someone who says, I am the source of light. I am not merely guiding you to the light. I am the light of the world. Fundamentally, we begin to kind of get a feel for how different Christianity is from every other world religion. And ultimately, though, even though he says that they have been bearing witness about me, he knows that they aren't listening, ultimately, though, because they don't truly know the Father. So in verse 19, he says, They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know me, neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. You would know my Father also. Now, I just, I want to put yourself in this shoes. This would have been a just slap in the face of the Pharisees that were listening. Okay? Not because Jesus is cruel, but he's trying to wake them up to this reality. These Pharisees knew the word of God better than anybody else during that day. And yet he's telling them, you don't know the Father. If you knew the Father, you would know me. If you knew me, then you would know the Father. So he's telling them that despite your abundant knowledge... 
and your great familiarity with the Word of God, you don't actually know the God whom you serve. You are in the dark. Again, the point of all that he's been saying is that Jesus has the right to make this statement by virtue of who he is and who the Father is. And at the same time, they don't have the right to doubt it because they are ignorant of the truth of who he is. It'd kind of be like if you were in a coffee shop and your computer stopped working and Bill Gaines leaned over and was like, you want me to help you with that? And you're like, no thank you, I'm going to call the geek squad. That's kind of what we have happening here. We have the light of the world, the author and the creator of all light, offering to give light to them, and they are ultimately saying, who are you to claim that? And I think there's two things we can take away from this. The first is how much we need the Spirit to know and appreciate Jesus for who He is. We don't come to recognize Jesus for who He really is, apart from the enabling illumination of the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I will just see Jesus as a mere man, a mere teacher, and that is the way he's been treated throughout history. When we look at Jesus with nearly natural eyes, we have to have spiritual help in order to be able to understand and appreciate and walk and follow Jesus. So everyone who looks at Jesus without the aid of the Spirit misses him because this is true of every doubter and skeptic throughout history. And it's just a reminder to us, if that's the way we begin the Christian life, how much more do you think that we need the Spirit to illuminate us in order for us to be able to continue to walk and follow Jesus? We need the Spirit to show us who Jesus is with ever greater clarity or we will miss it. But it's also a reminder that when we see people who do not believe That we shouldn't allow the doubts of this world to dissuade you from following the light. Don't allow their darkness to cloud your confidence in Him. Press in to the light. And if you're in the room today and you are doubting Jesus, maybe I want to encourage you. Maybe what you're struggling with is not the truth claims, but you are seeking to determine who Jesus is in your own strength according to the flesh as opposed to in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to challenge you. Would you ask God to reveal himself to you through his spirit? Would you humble yourself and say, God, would you show me your truth? Would you show me who you really are? Because our God delights to reveal himself to hearts that have been humbled and recognize their need of him. And the truth is that the message about Jesus is proclaimed most fully in the gospels. And yet at the same time, no matter how many times you read him, no matter how many times you've been to church, you can still miss it apart from the Spirit opening our eyes to see. And that's the first reason, but the second reason is closely tied to this. Second reason we trust that Jesus is the light and follow him is because we need the light to live. We need the light to live. When these analogies are used, light and darkness, there's always places where they break down, correct? 
And one of the ways that it breaks down is if you are walking in physical darkness, you know it, right? You know it, why? Because you can't see. Thank you. Because you stub your toe. Because you run into things. The moment you can't see something, you realize you're walking in darkness. And that's true of physical darkness, but it is not true of spiritual darkness. See, ultimately, one of the things we realize about spiritual darkness is that when we're walking in the darkness, we don't even realize we're in the dark. And so one of the things that we need, because we think we're in the light, we think we're good when we're actually heading blindly toward a cliff, is we need to be awakened to the gravity of our situation, which is why Jesus says next in verse 21, and so he said to them again, I'm going away. And you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. And where I am going, you cannot come. Some kind of pep talk. What's Jesus doing here? Is he being cruel? Is he being angry? Is he being like a mean Jesus? Or is he trying to open their eyes to the reality of their inability And the inevitable consequences of seeking life apart from walking in the one true light. So first he reminds them that he's not always going to be with them forever. He's leaving the earth. And he's interesting. He says, and you will seek me. Now is he saying, you will seek me as in you will seek me, Jesus? No, he's saying you will seek me as in you will seek the Messiah. So he said, listen, I'm the Messiah that your whole religion is built around waiting for. One day I'm going. I'm leaving you, and you're not going to be able to come with me, and you're going to keep on seeking the Messiah. And because you're going to keep on seeking the Messiah after the Messiah has already come, you're going to die in your sins. You started in blindness and in darkness, and you're going to continue in darkness because the light was here and you missed it. You missed the light, and so you missed the life that he gives Now, you would think that this would maybe jar them into some place of like self-reflection, but it doesn't. They just don't get it. So in verse 22, the the Jews said to him, will he kill himself? So since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so Jesus at this point, I mean, he knew it to begin with, but he knows that they're not following him. And so he says in verse 23, you're from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. See, why can't they seem to grasp what he's saying? Ultimately, it's because they are from below. And by from below, he's not saying from hell. He's not making this like aspersion on them. He's just saying, you're of this earth. You're of mortal flesh. You're of the flesh and bone. And guess what? That's not where I'm from. So I may look like you in the flesh. And he's not claiming that he wasn't fully human. He absolutely was claiming he was fully human. But his point was that my origin is not what your origin is. You came into being when you were born. I have pre-existed the universe. Fundamentally, the reason people do not accept the message of Jesus that they don't believe and have life is not because they are better, wiser, smarter, maybe in worldly ways than we are. 
but because Jesus is not of this world. Jesus has made a similar statement before to emphasize the distance and the difference between them and us, between him and us. We may, he may look like us, but he is utterly and completely different from us because he is from above and you and I, we're from below. So he is foreign to us, even though he has been sent to rescue us. So in verse 24, we read, So I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You see, one implication of Jesus being the light is that apart from him, there is no life. So if you miss the light, then you miss the life he offers. So Jesus, far from being cruel, is simply letting them know about the consequences of their actions. And this is implicit in honestly every truth claim. So it's not as like Jesus is doing something strange here. Jesus can and is right to say that if they do not believe in him, they will walk in darkness and ultimately die. Because he's wanting them to understand what's at stake. A few examples. If you don't listen to a computer expert and your computer breaks, guess what? That's on you. If you don't follow the directions for the recipe and your dish is ruined, guess what? That's on you. If you don't listen to what the doctor says, you have this disease. If you don't take this pill, you'll die and you do not take it because you do not believe him. Guess what? That's on you. So if you don't hear and believe the author of light and life and continue in darkness because you would rather walk in darkness than walk in the light and then ultimately you die in your sins, he's saying... That's what will happen, and that's on you. I think what's amazing about this is Jesus is not asking them to do some great, huge thing in order to be able to receive the light that he's giving. He simply says, believe in me. Believe that I am light, and I am life, and actually look to me for both and I'm going to give it to you. Just look to me for light and life. And I'll give it to you. And yet we are so hardened in our sin. That we don't do it apart from the Spirit's work. Because people choose all the time to walk away from this. Why? Ephesians 4.18 tells us it's because they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Let me say that again. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And if you didn't follow that train, the ignorance... And the separation from life is not because there's simply intellectual hurdles to be able to get to. The issue at the root is because hardness of heart. And underneath a hard heart is a proud heart. And people here listening today, Jesus offers the same thing to every person who is standing before me, sitting before me. The thing that's stopping you is not ultimately 
that there's not enough evidence for Jesus or because Jesus doesn't make his claim clear, but because your heart is hardened. And if that's you today, if this means nothing, I want to encourage you, begin to just go before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, would you show me my blindness? Would you show me my hard heart? And would you show me my need of you? And when sincere hearts pray those kind of prayers before the Lord, the Lord answers. And so finally, though, he ends, he ends with, because of the divine identity of the light. The third reason we should come to Jesus as the light is because of the divine identity of the light. So here we're coming to the final point, and it's really the climax of what he's saying thus far. He simply says this, or everything he's been coming to have been leading up to this point, and the people have been asking the questions, and they've been challenged, and they, they keep coming to him, and now they really want to know the question behind the question. Let's put it that way. They're coming to him, and they said, we've heard what you've been saying, Jesus. You're light. You're from the Father. I get all this. So here's the question I want to ask you, Jesus. In verse 25, they said to him, who are you? (laughs) Sometimes the Bible's funny, right? He's like, I'm the light of the world. I'm the shepherd. I'm coming for you. I'm here to save you. I'm the Messiah. And they get to this point, and the minute are like eight chapters into the Gospel of John, he's been saying the same thing for over and over and over and over in a thousand different ways. And they're like, who are you again? And Jesus said to them, and he's very patient, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. So in answer to the question, who are you, he says, Just what I've been telling you. I've already told you this once. I've said it in so many ways and shown you in so many ways, but you still don't get it. And he knows they don't get it because in verse 28, he says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do not do anything on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And as He who sent me is with me, He has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that are pleasing to him. See, Jesus here is pointing forward to the moment that he knows is coming. He's already said it a few verses earlier that it wasn't his time. That's why they left him alone. They didn't stone him then. They didn't crucify him then because his time has not yet come. But he knows that one day his time is coming and he's going to be lifted up. And by lifted up, he doesn't simply mean into heaven. He means lifted up on the cross. He means lifted up from death to life. And then, yes, the final lifted up in glory to the right hand of the Father. He's saying that lifting up is coming. And then when that happens, I'm going to have finally proven that I am who I said I am. Now, by this saying, then you will know, he's not saying that, oh, I know Jews. At that point, you're going to finally recognize that I am who I said I am. Because we know from the Gospels, even this Gospel, that that's not what happens. And John is writing knowing that that's not what happens. But he is saying this, I have proven beyond all doubt that I am who I said I am. That I am he. Now, what's interesting is that I am he We were talking about this earlier in our staff meeting, that there's no, in the Greek, article after I am. It's just, and then you will know that I am. Full stop. Why does he think he does that? Full stop there. It's like a weird, 
arrangement in Greek. It's not as if he's intending for them to hear this and then go, oh, I'm going to fill in the blank with whatever you said before. He's intending for it to be an awkward expression that will cause them to go in their mind. Why did he just say, and then you will know that I am? What he's doing, and he's really going to, he's going to flesh this out when we get to the end of chapter 8, coming up in a couple of weeks, where he's going to make it even more explicit, but he's beginning to give them hints that ultimately that the path to life is recognizing that not just that Jesus is the light of the world, but that ultimately he is the divine son from the Father, that there is no one apart from him, and that it is necessary to believe that he is truly God in order for you to be able to have the life that he offers. And this is a critical point, that Jesus is divine. Do you know why? Why would it be necessary for the light of the world to be divine? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it could just be a really good light, like 50,000 lumens, like a really good one. Why is it necessary that Jesus would be divine? Because if you were speaking to a first century Jewish audience and you said that I am the light of the world, then immediately their mind is going to go back into the Old Testament and they'll be like, wait a minute. Where does light come from? God. Through his word. Jesus, you're telling me that when I read in Scripture, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Or Psalm 43, 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And you're telling me, Jesus, you first century Jewish carpenter, that you are that light? You have to be divine to be able to say something like that to a Jewish audience and have the authority to make it clear and for that to be true. If Jesus is not God, then he is a blasphemer. And so he knows that the people that he is speaking to, they know that light comes from God. And they know that light comes from his word. And so what he is doing in his statement, and he is making it clear that he is superseding and eclipsing all other light. Meaning that the light and life of all other revelation that God gives is now coming from him. Meaning that God is now shining on humanity, not just through a written word, but through the word made flesh. To be the light, he must be the true word of God. He must come from God and communicate the truth of God for the life of God's people in a way that the written word could not do. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying. Which is exactly what he did with his life, his ministry, and his death and resurrection. And if that's true, if Jesus is the source of all truth and life of God and he is God, then when he tells you to follow me, that is your best chance, hope of life. 
Just like Israel followed God in the pillar of fiery light through the wilderness, because Jesus is the light of the divine Son, you are called to live your life throughout the course of it, throughout the time of our wilderness wanderings on this earth, following that light. Amen? Jesus is not meant to be merely some information that will maybe enlighten you, maybe make you feel better. He is meant to be the light that is directing your whole life. And so everything that we are, every direction we go, is meant to come as we follow that light. Do you understand how momentous that statement is? Do you understand why he must be divine? Why he must have the right and the authority to say this light? Because when he says, I am the light of the world, he is saying, you look to me for life and truth. You follow me for life. There is no other way. See, Jesus does not want to be a light for his people. Church, there are a thousand million lights today shining, offering you some sort of help, some sort of hope, some sort of insight, some sort of life. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch TED Talks because there's some really interesting stuff in there. I think you could be benefited from it. What I'm saying is that for ultimate life, for ultimate fulfillment, for ultimate happiness, ultimately for ultimate eternal life, You look to Jesus. He is the life. He is the light. And he is claiming to be the light and believing in his divine identity. Following his word and example is the way to true life. Because if you believe that Jesus is in the light, is the light, you will look to him to guide and direct all of your life. And my hope and prayer for you today is simply this. That Jesus would not be a guy that you heard about and that you think is a pretty good guy and that you believe in every now and again when you think about salvation, but that he would be the light that you follow every day of your life. That he would be the light you look to to give your life meaning, purpose, and direction. That he would be that kind of life for you. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory because you are the light of the world. You sent the light to earth, Father. Jesus, you are the light of the world. And Lord, you have come so that we might have life. And Lord, when we turn from you, it's not because we are righteous or because we are too smart, but because our hearts are hard. And so if there are any in the room today whose heart is still hardened, whose eyes are still blinded to the truth of Jesus, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open their eyes and open their mind that they may see Jesus as the light of the world. And for us who claim that we believe that Jesus is the light of the Lord, oh, of the world, oh, Lord, we pray that we would live like it. That we would not be a people who claim to him, claim to, that he is the light, and yet we live our lives in the light of so many lesser lights. Lord, lead us and guide us and direct us that we may have life in your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen.